Anyway, it's good to be here this evening, and I thank God for the opportunity, and I pray that the Lord would help us. I thought about something the pastor said earlier in the service. I think he was responding to something that was said by a young lady over here about being welcome or comfortable. And everybody's welcome, but I hope tonight that you will not be very comfortable. I'm not very comfortable about what I have to talk about tonight, but I think it has to be talked about. It has to be addressed in our lives and needs to be dealt with. And I hope tonight that you will uh, be willing to respond uh, to the Lord in whatever he talks to you about, whatever he communicates to you, what words uh, does he want you to speak and what thoughts does he want you to have and uh, should we say it's okay and yes to the Lord and uh, whatever you want dear Jesus I'll be glad to do it and one of the songs was like that uh, this evening and I hope it can be that way I want you to look in your book if you would to Jeremiah chapter 28 Jeremiah chapter 28 I've been preaching revivals a long time, since 1976. And uh, I used to always start out uh, revival meetings with messages along the lines that I'm going to preach tonight and maybe even tomorrow night, I'm not sure. And uh, I think I drifted away from it a little bit in my own thinking, maybe just because of the, uh, the times that we live in and uh, the temperatures of men's hearts and souls and lives. Uh, but I want to get back to it. I think, I think we need to be confronted with our sin. I think we need to be talked about, about the level of Christianity that we're living in this strange day that God has allowed us to live in. And so I pray that the Lord would help us along those lines tonight. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for uh, the young folk that have sang to us and the congregationals and the testimonies uh, that have been given tonight in this room. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, this evening to get a, a very candid look at our own lives and our own church our own family, our community, our country, and even our world. And I pray that you would help us to respond in a manner that would be pleasing to thee. May we recognize areas of our lives that need some spiritual attention. And I know that the Spirit of God is here tonight in this service, and he speaks down in the depths of our soul in the secret place where no one else ever goes. And I ask, Lord, that you would have that accomplished in the lives of our listeners tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story here in Jeremiah chapter 28. It's a familiar story, I think. It's interesting to me, too. The prophet Hananiah, he would be a positive thinker. Uh, he would be uh, the fellow down in Houston of his day. Uh, what is that guy's name? Joel Osteen. He would be the Joel Osteen of his day. And uh, so he prophesied that the yoke of Babylon would be broken in a matter of two years. Jeremiah have to, happened to be in the audience that day, and I think rather sarcastically he said amen. And... Uh, you know, if it comes to pass, he said, that'll be fine, that'll be well, I hope that happens. And he said, you know, you're a, you're a prophet. Well, I think it upset Hananiah a little bit, and so he broke that yoke uh, that was on Jeremiah, uh, and it was a yoke of wood, you remember that, in, your st in the story here. And the word, of the, God, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and uh, in my words, he said to Hananiah, old boy, uh, you may have broke the yoke of wood, but what are you going to do with this yoke of iron? And this thing is all in my hands and in Nebuchadnezzar's hands. And we pick up the reading in verse number 15. 
of Jeremiah 28. Then said the prophet Jeremiah unto Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord hath not sent thee. Thou makest that this people to trust in a lie. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will cast thee from off the face of the earth. This year thou shalt die, because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. And then to me it's a little footnote, verse number 17. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. I want you to consider tonight four or five areas that I think if we'll be honest, we're dying. Or some that we love have already died. Or they have the death rattle in their voice. Jeremiah said to Hananiah, this year thou shalt die. And it took place. Job said that death was the king of terrors. Jeremiah said it is the most successful thief and intruder. You know this as well as I do. All things in God's plan seem to die. Very few people have ever gotten out of this earth, off this earth without dying. Just a handful and you read about them in the Bible. Strangely, death is, and it's been mentioned tonight in two or three of the testimonies, death is God's doorstep to life. For the child of God. Death makes irreversible decisions. Death does not vacillate with its victims. You may be laying on your deathbed this time next week. Nothing can take you from that place. Save God. I want you to think. This is just simple. Uh, some may die. And are dying physically. The Bible's very plain about that in Hebrews 9 and 27. It says, we're appointed unto man once to die, and then cometh the judgment. Every single person in this room has an appointment with death. Unless for the child of God, the rapture intrudes, and thank God, and hopefully it will. The Bible said, Paul said, in Adam all Die. Romans chapter 8 said, After the flesh ye shall die. Might be a quick loss of life. Could be a tragic accident. Uh, in contemplating death, I think we ought to be taught how to live. I've had dear friends, my goodness, my mother, uh, Mother's Day's next week. My mother was born on May the 14th, 1929. She lived just to be a 45-year-old young lady, slipped out into eternity with cancer. I had my precious friend and prayer warrior, Brother Randy Pike, just died in March. I've had a precious friend just a week ago pass away. Death is a constant companion especially as you grow older. Most of your friends, lots of your companions, uh, they're old and they're going to die. Some die of natural causes, whatever that is. That's always been a strange thing, a natural cause. You know, breathing's a natural cause. Maybe the ending of breathing is the natural cause. We read about senseless killings every single day or hear about them on the news. Jeremiah 9 and verse number 21 says, For death is come up into our windows and entered into our palaces. Death is no respecter of persons, no respecter of age, no respecter of race, social standing. Death strikes across the whole gamut of human life. You know, in some cases it may take death, a death to awaken some people. Isaiah, in the year that King Isaiah died, he really had a transformation. His life was completely changed. His direction in, in uh, his uh, service was completely revolutionized 
when his king Uzziah died. There was a great man in our state, the state of Michigan, where I grew up. He was my father's pastor. His church eventually uh, that he pastored in Flint, Michigan, I'm sure it's still in existence, probably not the size that it was back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. They ran over a 1,000 in Sunday school, didn't have any buses or anything, just a great crowd of people. Uh, famous uh, evangelist and soul winner uh, by the name of Carl Hatch was a member of that church and he had won a lot of people. Dr. Loheed was the pastor. He was also my father's pastor. I knew we knew the family intimately. But Loheed, Brother Loheed uh, was a successful businessman back in the 40s, 1940s and Some of you young people say, what are the 1940s? That's a long time ago. And uh, God had called him to preach, but he didn't want to go. Had this successful business. His wife, her name was Helen. Matter of fact, Helen, she lived up until about, I don't know, maybe five years ago. She lived to be almost 100 years old. And uh, he couldn't go. He wouldn't go. He argued with the Lord. He fought the Lord just like maybe some of you tonight are, in whatever the will of God is for you. And God blessed them with a little baby girl. I don't recall her name, but I know the story. When she was less than two years of age, uh, they put her to bed one night. You know, one of those old-fashioned, and I've seen them and you have too, maybe at an antique store now, but those old-fashioned beds and they had all that scroll work up there, you know, and made out of metal. And somehow in the night, that little baby girl got up, stuck her head through that little bed, whether she fell back asleep or slipped and got tied up in her blankets, but she fell down in there and she hung herself and died. Dr. Loheed, he wasn't doctor then, Don Loheed and his wife Helen, They were just a young couple, had that little baby girl. They went in there in the morning, and there that child was dead. I've heard him tell the story more than once. (laughs) I've heard my dad tell it probably 50 times. They made an altar of that deathbed and said, God, we'll do whatever you want us to do. And God used them mightily. This year, thou might die physically. Now to spend a little time in the middle of the message, and listen, it's not going to be a short message, it's not going to be a long message, but it's going to be longer than this morning, if you don't mind. And I feel kind of good about it, because it's only 7 o'clock, this is the time we normally get started in some parts of the country. So we're just getting started. And if you have to leave, leave, not going to bother me. I think we'll, I think You think about our nation could very well be dying nationally. We live in an hour of unprecedented economic confusion. Has been not known since the Great Depression, in my opinion. We live in an hour of military concession. We once were the greatest nation militarily around the world, and now we cower at our enemies. We make diplomatically unsound decisions. Secular humanism is a great plague that has permeated our institutions of higher learning, even down into our high schools, because those that were taught in our colleges are now teachers in the public schools. I think think it's spawning some of the wickedness of our day. So-called preachers in pulpits across our land, they pander their products and protect their promiscuous parishioners from their pulpits of power that are a shame and a black mark on the work of God. There are charlatans who carelessly call for our mouths to be shut. 
They don't want us to say what needs to be say it be said. It is no longer politically correct. And frankly, I'm not overly concerned about that, especially tonight. We live in an age of narcissism, which is a worship of self. 2 Timothy 3 and 2 said that men would become lovers of their own selves. We live in an age of humanism where men want to do their own thing. Paul said to Timothy, we are, they have become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. An age of heathenism. Heathenism. Where boys think they're girls. Girls think they're boys. What a tragedy. What a horrible day. When I, you think about it, just think about it. I played sports in high school. I was a linebacker. Second string. For the Lansing Eastern. Think about this. Oxymoronic. Um, Mascot, the fighting Quakers. How dumb is that? The Quakers didn't fight. We didn't either. We didn't win too many games, frankly. But how in the, how in the world would a boy, a young man, have a desire to think he's a girl so he can go play on the girls' basketball team. He couldn't make the varsity in the boys, so I'll go play on the girls' team. What kind of madness has permeated our land to think that that's okay, and if you, anyone dared to say anything about it, there's something wrong with me. God help us. A nation that is dying. I can hear the death knell of our once proud, powerful, God-fearing nation as we head clearly down a road of religious and spiritual decadence unprecedented in the history of our country. The religious sword of humanism become a sad requiem for our once proud republic. Our national pride is erased in embarrassment. We apologize. We apologize for things we shouldn't even apologize for. I think apologies may in order, may be in order for the geometric crosses at Flanders Field the Americans on flight 007, the Marines in Beirut, the white rounded markers of Gettysburg that adorn the graves of valiant men. And you live in an area of the country where there are markers and monuments to men that died for something. We leave Baghdad with billions of dollars of our tax money in armaments left in the hands of our enemies. God help us. The hallowed halls of Congress weep in disgrace as weak-kneed spineless crooks, licentious worms, occupy the seats where men and patriots once sat. God help us. This once great ship of state is beached on a reef of moral decadence and perversion unthought of in the logbook of human decency. I wonder what spawned all this filth. I think some of it is the rock, of, rock and roll of my youth. And really, some of that was so rinky-dink, there was nothing to it. But what has come over the last 30 and 40 years, the filth, the, the words, the godless language, the beat the, right out of the pits of hell. 
You hear it in the malls. You hear it in the airport. You hear it in the stores. You hear it all over the place. What that must do to the lives of young people is beyond my capability of even explaining it. We've been slain by the sword of sodomy, attacked by abortion, AIDS, adultery, murdered by immorality, wounded by a wanton disregard for what is right, and we, there our, our drooping flag hangs limpingly sad over the land of the spree and the home of the slave to sin. No longer is, a, is it America the beautiful God shed his grace on thee, but America the disgraceful that God has hid his face from us. We are weighed in the balances tonight and found wanting as a nation. Wanting for righteousness. Wanting for holiness. Wanting for godliness. Our cry must be, my God, my God. And the same that our Savior said, why hast thou forsaken us? The answer to that question would come from Holy Writ. Righteousness exalt of the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Your sin has hid my face from thee. I am angry with the wicked every day. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. The rebellious dry, dwell in a dry land whoso despiseth the word. There's, there's a different Bible version coming out just about every other week now. I'll be honest with you. I'll be frank with you. I'm staying with that old King James Bible. That's the book. That's the book that was in the hand of the man of God that read its pages to me when I was born again early in the morning in March of 1970. I'm staying with that book and the God of that book. God help us. Preachers are turning on every hand. There's some knucklehead down in Jacksonville, Florida. I saw a picture of him on my phone. He is helping young people recover from believing that the King James Bible is the word of God. He's an idiot. You're right. Recovering. Listen, if it's something to recover of, I want to die of the sickness. I have no desire to change. I've read that book I don't know how many times. I read the New Testament every single month that the world goes around, and I hope to do it until I can't even see anymore, and then I'll have my wife read it to me, thank God. This book, this book, this book. Oh, I love that book. Preachers who were once flaming evangelists now are cold and lifeless candles. Christians who were once on fire are now cold, wet blankets of discouragement. Some are now mere corpses of what a consecrated Christian ought to be, and they clutter our churches with their nothingness. I was preaching one time in Homa, Louisiana. That's down south of I-10. Uh, that's, boy, you talk about... Seafood galore down there. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, we were in a restaurant. And a man came up to the table. And uh, I guess maybe we had prayed over the meal. I'm not, I don't know what prompted it. Maybe just God. I don't know. Maybe we look different than the rest of the folk in the restaurant. I will say this, child of God. You ought to look different than the rest of the folk in the restaurant. I mean, somebody every once in a while ought to see you out in public. There is something about those people. I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to look like the rest of the crowd out there. I want to be different. 
I was in the airport. I think when we were flying home from here back in, uh, in the wintertime, we'd come down here in December, and I was sitting there in the airport, and I dressed just about like this. You said, why are you sitting over there? I'm a little tired. <laughs> and my wife was sitting next to me. She had her dress on like she always does, skirt. We were sitting there waiting for our plane, and a man came over to me. And nothing, I'm, not, I'm not saying anything about it. He had, he looked, I'll just say this, he looked like the rest of the people that fly. <laughs> now, when I started flying, everybody looked, all the men looked like this. I mean, you thought that, we were, we, it's a business trip most people were on, unless you're going on vacation. And this guy come walking over to me, and he stopped in front of me, he's a little bit older than me, he said, you must be a preacher. I looked up at him, smiled, said, yes, I am. I'm a Baptist preacher. He said, you know, I used to be a Baptist preacher, and I retired, and he went into some other kind of wackadoodle ministry. I don't know what it was. But, <laughs> but you know, people ought to know there's something. It ought, you, you know why you ought to look different? Because I think like one of the songs tonight, we don't talk about it as much as we should. We be, a lot of us have become silent saints. And we hide behind looking like everybody else so we can really get undercover. Camouflaged. Well, anyway, this guy walks up to, and he, he, I don't, he either shook my hand or anyway, uh, he, he put his hand up and he left two $100 bills in my hand. And I said, man, glory to God, this is a pretty good meal. I'm not paying for the meal and getting $200 to boot. And uh, we had prayer with him. We talked to him a little bit, and I wrote this down. He said, this is what this man said. He said, I pray that God would help me to go to places. It was near Morgan City. We were in Morgan City. I was preaching at Homa. He said, I pray that I can, God would send me to some of his children so that I could be a blessing to them. Amen. Well, he was a blessing to me that day. And uh, several years passed, two or three, and I ran across that guy again. And he, was, he had come to a church somewhere, it might have been back in Louisiana, I think it was in Texas, so where I was, and uh, I recognized him. He recognized me, but he was dumping off all kinds of produce and uh, good stuff at this church, just giving it to him. And uh, I said, you remember? Yeah, I remember you. you know, we talked a little bit. And I said, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing? This is what he said. He said, I asked God for something that special that I could do for him. And so he told me to be a raven to God's people. You remember the raven came to Elijah and fed him? You remember the story? He said, I just want to be a raven. You said, well, I can't preach. You could be a raven. I can't sing. Well, you could be a raven. Because I don't think they have too pretty of a singing voice either. It could be a raven. Find something you can do for God. It may be written in the history books of tomorrow. But there was a nation that once was great. And through its unrighteousness, it was written, This year thou shalt die. I read a book just recently by David Horowitz. I was trying to remember the title. I think it's called The Final Battle. I would recommend it to you. It is absolutely frightening what he documents has happened in our country in the last two years. You know, if you just hear about it one day and then you forget about it like I do in your old, you know, and... You know, two weeks later, you don't even know what happened. But he just, he lists all this stuff in the last two years. It's breathtaking. It's heartrending. 
It's horror stricken. I don't want to get political, but God help us in this country. Then spiritually, the smell of death sadly is on many churches and Christian schools and lives. The loathsome thought of a a living body suffering spiritual leprosy. Leprosy was a type of sin. You know that. You've been to church. Miriam had it. Gehazi had it. Uzziah had it. You know, the usurper of Azariah's authority. Leprosy is an insidious disease. You know, you get a little spot. Don't think much about it. Goes away. Comes back. Goes away. Comes back. And it's not long. You don't have any fingers and you lost your nose. It deadens the nerves. You have no feeling. Sad to say in our churches, I would compare this spiritual leprosy to this portion of Scripture. Our conscience is seared as with a red-hot iron. We don't even feel bad about it anymore. We're not even concerned about things Things that mattered at one time, they were vital. I think the preacher said yesterday, knocked on 400 doors or whatever, 300 and some doors, so many people went out. I used to be a member of a large church in Cincinnati when I first moved there. I told the preacher, I think this yesterday, you know, he listens to stuff I say and I've been coming here so long, I probably told him he has a lot better memory than me, but he's so kind, he just listens to this old codger just telling the same stories over and over. But I told him yesterday, when we went to that church, first went to that church, it was on fire. I, uh, I got going there. Uh, they had a camp meeting. They had it in the church. They called it an indoor camp meeting. And uh, had great preachers come, and I, you know, I was one of the young guys on the docket. But I preached with some of the great men of our nation. Preached with Harold Seitler there. I think it was the only time I ever preached with Dr. Seitler. We were in a. I'll come back to this. We were in a hotel room, uh, adjoining rooms in the hotel. And I walked by his room, and I looked in. He was sitting at the little desk there by the window. And I knocked on the window, and he, he reached over and opened doors. Come in, Brother Green. And he talked about my dad and this, and we fellowshiped a little bit. And he said, I said to him, I said, you know, Doc, I've been coming to this church. You've never been here before. And he never was there again either. But uh, I said, uh, this church could really use that sermon of yours on Mephibosheth. And he said to me, he says, well, if the Lord bumps me. I never heard anybody say that before. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had the Lord bump me before. He has impressed me greatly, but if the Lord bumps me. Well, he preached it that night. And for about the first 30 minutes, I said, Tim, why didn't you keep your stupid mouth shut? This is a bomb. This guy's never bombed in his life. I bombed a lot. I mean, I'm like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. You know, I'm bombing people all the time. But uh, but I mean tell you, the last... 20, 30 minutes of that message, the Holy Ghost came into that place, God being my witness. There were three to 400 people in the altar, many of them just lying out on the floor, smitten by that wonderful truth of that story of Mephibosheth and the grace of God. The assistant pastor of that church, matter of fact, I saw him in a restaurant about three weeks ago. He's got MS. He's not doing anything anymore. He said to me that night, he, said, or the, uh, he, 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 was, he was prostrate, laying out on the carpet in front of that church, just weeping. He said to me a couple weeks after that meeting, he said, Tim, I knew nothing of the grace of God until I heard that sermon. Nothing. And I believe he was telling the truth. I don't think he knew nothing about it. God got a hold of that, that fella. He's a little bit younger than me. I, uh, I worry that our altars 
are vacant so much of the time. I worry, I, I preach in churches where everybody comes forward every service. I don't really think that's necessary. And I go to churches where nobody ever comes forward at all. And I think that's tragedy. I would be concerned if I was a child of God, if I could go a year without sitting in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and not one time God smote my heart about something and down to the altar I went. I've gone to the altar preaching in conferences with other people because something they said. The altar will alter your life. It's one of the most important places in a church house is the altar. I think some of our churches, some of our brethren, some Christians are suffering a slow, agonizing, putrid death and nobody's concerned about it. Because we're all in the same boat, I guess. What a terrible thing to die spiritually. To die spiritually. You know, here's the, you know, who cares? I'm saved. What a, what a ridiculous attitude. I'm going to heaven, so it's a big deal. I want to take some people with me. I do, I do believe every Christian is going to stand and give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. It is not going to be a summer picnic. I don't think it's going to be an awards banquet. And yet he will reward us. You know, there's one of the strangest little fragments of a verse in all of the book to me. It said that all of us will receive praise from him. From him. I guess he's going to have to search hard to find something to praise some of us about. But we evolved. You say, are you... No, I'm not intimidated by the judgment seat of Christ because I know the one that sits on the throne loves me. And he shed his blood for me. And he purchased my redemption on that rugged tree there in front of a howling mob of maniacs. You see the riots of our day? That's what it was like at Calvary. The madness of people and the mobs in this land, that's what took place in Jerusalem that day. To die spiritually. I think worst of all would be to die lost. What if you knew that this year you would die? Before December 31st, 2023 rolls around, you'd be in eternity. If you knew that lost person, you'd get saved tonight. You'd get born again. I probably mentioned it when I was here in December because it was so fresh in my mind and in my wife's heart. Our next door neighbor died. She's been our neighbor for 34 years. We absolutely loved her. She loved us. She's widowed. Sandy fed her. Sandy made a pie, Jan got a piece. Sandy made her favorite dish. She loves Sandra's macaroni and cheese, so do I. She'd make Jan a special bowl, take it to her. We loved her. We witnessed to her. Sandy witnessed to her. She was Catholic, not interested at all. Her cousin just died two weeks ago. You all heard of him. Some of you watching. Jerry Springer. Her cousin. <laughs> I don't live in a fancy neighborhood. I mean, what, what, a, what a wicked man he was. Vile Jew. He was a vile Jew. His mother and dad, Jerry Springer's mother and dad, were on the last boat that left Germany 
just before World War II broke out, the last boat that the Nazis let leave port to come to America. That's how close America came to being delivered from Jerry Springer. She died lost. I visited her in the hospital the day she died. I whispered in her ear the last thing I said to that precious lady was have faith in God, Jan. I don't know. To be lost. The only thing I can relate to it, it's been a long, long time. But my, uh, my mental compass has improved greatly from when I was a young kid going deer hunting. I've been lost in the woods when I was 15, 16 year old, a couple of times, I mean, literally lost. I mean, completely bum-fuzzled where in the world I was, in the cold of the northern Michigan woods. And my dad was hunting somewhere, but I guess he didn't care too much. He just, he'll find his way home, or, you know, I got five other kids at home, so what? I don't know what his attitude was. <laughs> It's a frightening thing to be lost in the woods. I wrote a book about Teddy Roosevelt discovering the river of doubt in South America. Those men were lost. This was in about 1910 or so. He, matter of fact, he got so sick on that trip, he died about three or four months after he got home. They killed him. But they were lost. They were discovering an unknown river that never, nobody had ever navigated it before. They had four or five guys died of terrible things. One guy shot another guy, uh, got upset, went crazy. To be lost. To be lost in the jungles of South America or to be lost in the woods of northern Michigan where we hunted up there. It's called the Dead Stream Swamp. There were men lost in that swamp years ago that never got out, and they never found their bodies in the swamp. To be lost for all eternity in hell. In hell. You never get saved, friend. That's where you're going, hell. I heard more than one testimony tonight. Thank God for the grace of God that reached down and saved us out of a devil's hell. Jesus came to save, to seek, and to save them that are lost. Sam Jones, a great preacher from your state here, he said this. Jesus saw the old ship of humanity about to sink beneath the waves of God's wrath and judgment. The rocks of unrighteousness were about to ruin the human race. The Son of God sees her, and down he comes from the shining shores of heaven as swift as the morning light and throws his arms of love around this old sinking ship. She carried him under three days and three nights, but however, he brings her to the surface on the third day. And God grasps the stylus and signs the Magna Carta of man's salvation, and at that blessed moment, the truth of God's grace is seen. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Don't let it be said at your funeral. I wonder. I've talked about this guy. You don't know him. My friend from school, from, high, from grade school. I met him when I was in first grade. He was in kindergarten. We hated each other for a long time. We became bosom buddies later on. It's interesting how kids can not like one another and then become good friends, but Christians, we can carry our hate to the grave. Isn't that amazing? Matter of fact, I don't know why his wife did this. But we, I got her, she sent me a Christmas present. We love her. We, I, I led her to the Lord way back 100 years ago. But, uh, well, half that. Um, she sent me a Christmas card that I got last week. But she's always like this. Her birthday was, uh, the, I think, the 29th of April, 
So we waited up until May to send her her presents just to get back at her. This, this has been going on for ever. And she sent me this tie. This is my friend's tie. You can see how wide it is. It's not in anymore. But I don't like those ties that are about this thick, frankly, or thin, you know. With a check for $150, too, by the way, for Christmas, not just this old tie. But I love this tie more than the 150 bucks. The 150 bucks is gone. I still got the tie, and I'm wearing it tonight. Al got saved Christmas, no, uh, January of 1976. He died Christmas Day at 50 years of age, 1999. I don't know if I did or my dad did, or I think both of us, we preached his mother's funeral. His mother loved me. She just, she, I think maybe she was thankful that through quote-unquote my influence or our friendship or whatever, he had come to Christ, got saved, his whole life transformed. I mean, if anybody got born again, Al Van Buren got born again from a wicked, wicked life. Broken marriages. I wasn't going to it. But his mom died. And uh, we went to the cemetery, obviously. And here, Al and I, we walked away from the grave. We were the last ones to walk away. And I put my arm around him. Which we were, and he put his arm around my back. You know, like this. Like we, I felt like we were two schoolboys, just two young kids again. And I said to him, I said, Al, and her name was Flora. She made profession. She would come to the Christmas play to see the grandkids. She might come Easter. Uh, she might come to see the kids get baptized. But that was the level of her devotion and faithfulness, not much. We walked away from that cemetery, arm in arm. And I said to him, Al, I said, we'll see her. You'll see her again. He stopped. He said, I hope so. I don't want a hope so relationship with Jesus Christ when my eternal destiny depends on it. I want to know so. And if you're here tonight and you don't know so, you ought to get saved this evening. Be a great night to do it. Would you take a little spiritual inventory of your own life and say, you know, I got a little uh, leprous spot right here. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm letting, I'm, I'm letting up on this area of my life. I'm, I'm not as faithful in this. And I'm, I'm, check yourself out spiritually. If nothing else, you ought to pray for our nation. I think more Christians ought to get involved in the government. I think it'd be great if Joe Biden got born again. At his age, he ought to. I'd be glad if, wouldn't it be wonderful if every senator and every congressman, every governor tomorrow would be on their knees repenting of their sin and trusting Christ? You talk about having a Christian nation. Every rock star, every Hollywood star, all of the foolishness that invades our life from every direction, if somehow God would send a revival of mammoth proportions, we don't need another little meeting where nothing happens. We need something where God moves in. In our hearts and our lives and rearranges the furniture of our Christian commitment. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. I don't know where we are spiritually other than it looks kind of dim from my perspective in traveling this land and preaching in churches and 
I'm in good churches. I'm in places where the King James Bibles believed. It's not practiced very much anymore in many lives. We don't witness like we ought to. We don't pray like we ought to. We don't sacrifice like we ought to. We're not willing to pay the price like we should. I read the old books of men and women of the past and what they did. And it seems like we're just tottering along in kindergarten. I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd send revival. Not a comfortable one, but an uncomfortable one. For the Holy Ghost of God will deal with men and women in a deep, deep, burning conviction about things in our lives that are not pleasing, directions of our lives that we're walking, places we're going, activities that we're submitting to that we know are wrong. God, Christians of the past wouldn't even think about some of the things that your people are doing today, seeing today, listening today, watching today, reading today, doing today. Sin and iniquity have become rampant and to a certain extent excused. Help us, O oh God. Move in our midst, move in our hearts. Help us to pull up stakes and move into a better place.